science. Listening to Love and Science on BCFM 93.2 FM. I'm Andrew Glester, and we're going to be looking at some of the science in the news at the moment, as well as hearing from Mario Molina, the man who won the Nobel Prize for discovering that CFCs were causing the hole in the ozone layer. And we'll hear all about a new exhibition which has just launched at Hamilton House here in Bristol combining science and art the creative reactions exhibition as part of the pint of science festival taking place this week in bristol but with a science show based around the news there's really only one place we can start this week and that's with donald trump's decision to remove nasa's research looking at climate change when donald trump was elected president of the of america we here on the show were were reticent to call out what might happen and said that maybe we shouldn't criticise too much until he actually did something which would harm the planet. And here he is, the news on the BBC website. President Donald Trump's administration has ended the US space agency's NASA's monitoring system into greenhouse gases. The carbon monitoring system, a £7 million a year project which remotely tracks the world's flow of carbon dioxide, is losing its funding and Science magazine reports that this loss jeopardises the ability to measure national emission cuts as agreed by the nations in the Paris climate deal. The BBC continues that the US plans to withdraw from the deal... And the country's environmental policy has shifted under the Trump administration, which wants to bolster the US's fossil fuel industry. I mean, I, I, I honestly can't say too much about that without getting far too cross on the radio. So I decided to speak to Professor Mario Molina, who's a man who's made a big difference to our planet. He won the Nobel Prize for chemistry for discovering that CFCs were causing the hole in the ozone layer. Now Mario Molina is a chemist but he's also been involved in the politics side of America as an advisor to several of the campaigns and administrations over the years. And when I had the opportunity to speak to him I'd been thinking that back when CFCs were the big climate story it seemed to me like the public accepted it and the politicians accepted it more easily perhaps than some parts of the public and politicians have accepted climate science more recently and I asked the professor whether he felt that that was the case and if so why that might be yes I believe that's indeed the case the first reason is that we were dealing with a simpler problem and also, these chemicals were produced mainly by large chemical industries, five or six of them, and we were able to communicate with them from the very beginning. And of course, at the beginning, they were not in agreement with us, and they thought uh, they should not have to stop their production or limit it in any way of these chemicals just because we had a theory. But uh, in subsequent years, this theory became very well tested, uh, to the extent that uh, first the main chemical company was the DuPont company, 
had already made a commitment to stop producing these chemicals should the science become well established. And when it became well established indeed, uh, for example, as, as, as uh, stated by reports from the National Academy of Sciences and so on, then the DuPont company accepted that, and by that time we had already induced them to produce other industrial chemicals that would also work as refrigerants and they could also keep selling, but would, that would not affect the, the ozone layer. So, in a nutshell, we were able to collaborate with the industry and then, of course, with decision makers in government, diplomats and so on, and with heads of state so that uh, an international agreement, the Montreal Protocol, was agreed upon in the 1980s, essentially by all the nations in the planet. Climate change, unfortunately, is more complicated. Uh, as uh, we know, it's, it's caused mainly by burning fossil fuels, although deforestation also helps. Uh, and fossil fuels are very much ingrained in the economies of developing as well as developed countries nowadays. So it's much more difficult to change the use of fossil fuels than it was to, to change just the, the use of, uh, of the CFCs. But there's one more complication, which fortunately we were able to avoid with the CFCs. I mentioned that essentially all the nations in the planet agreed to, to stop that. But with, with uh, climate change, it took a lot longer, as early as the 2009 or so, practically, uh, all the heads of state at that time had agreed that they, something should be done about climate change. And they summarized it, as we had suggested, that by saying we need to change emissions in such a way that the temperature, the average surface temperature of the planet does not increase more than 2 degrees uh, Celsius, something like 3 degrees Fahrenheit or so. And uh, it took another number of years until uh, 2015 for the negotiators to seriously accept what the heads of state had already agreed upon. But that's when the Paris Agreement was uh, signed and practically all the countries in the planet agreed with that to take voluntary measures to begin with, but to decrease emissions to deal with the problem in, in some sort of a initial way that would later could be strengthened. And th that's uh, very encouraging, just like the Montreal Protocol. The one discouraging news is that the, that the moment there is one head of state that doesn't agree with this, and that's uh, Donald Trump here in the United States. And we believe it's for, that there are no good reasons for that. There are just political reasons. Many industries are willing to change because they understand the signs and it, it, it's, it's very clear and many companies, many uh, mayors of different cities have agreed to collaborate, certain states like California, Massachusetts as well, but the administration of, of uh, President Trump does not. We believe that's highly irrational and hope that's just a temporary offset that uh, we will be able to, uh, as a society, to deal with this problem. We don't have that much time left before we get into big problems, but we hope we will be able to deal with it. Uh, when you've been speaking to politicians over the years, have you experienced politicians changing their mind based on the scientific evidence? Yes, the, with some problems. First, let me point out that with the CFCs and the 
Montreal Protocol, the, the ozone layer. To begin with, we had similar problems. We, we could not communicate directly with politicians when we did. Uh, some of them expressed doubts, but eventually they all agreed with the science. With climate change, because this issue became politicized, somehow or other in the United States it became part of the Republican Party to question the science of climate change, which was something completely irrational. And that, that has been explained by a number of authors by indicating, of course, that there were some interest groups that were able to fund, for example, the results that convinced many people that there were some doubts about the science of climate change. So that was just explicitly done on purpose so that the, the government wouldn't act soon enough. But we know that's, uh, that, that's irrational. That's uh, something that is not uh, uh, acceptable. And uh, ironically, with the Montreal Protocol, we work with many <clears throat> Republican government uh, people that are very much on our side nowadays. But it's the, many of the current Republicans, the, the people that are currently in Congress in the United States, that have these doubts. And it, it's, again, because of these very concerted efforts in the press to question the science have been uh, successful. And we in the scientific community have been sort of slow in terms of responding to these irrational questions, we believe. And so we need to go out and make a big effort to put the science where it, where it should be and explain that it's not the science that tells us what we need to do, but the science tells us what would happen if we do not stop emissions, but it's out of uh, the values that we have to protect future generations and even our own, because things are already happening. It's these values of that we want the benefit of society that impel us to advocate that uh, the emissions should certainly be reduced and eventually stopped of the gases that are affecting the climate, and mainly carbon dioxide. Brilliant. Um, thank you so much for talking to me. I'll let you get back to the event. And uh, also, thank you so much for fixing the planet that we live on. Oh, I'm very pleased to be on your having talked to you. Now, earlier today, I went along to Hamilton House to see and discover all about this new exhibition, Creative Reactions, where scientists from Bristol have got together with artists from Bristol and artists have created work that's based on the science research being done here in our city today. I met up with Charlotte Mugliston there at the gallery and asked her how the exhibition had been put together. We did a call out for lots of uh, artists to come along and like we said that uh, if you could become part of this and um, talk to a researcher from the Bristol area and just do a piece of uh, work based on their research and just interpret it how they want and we'll do this amazing exhibition and um, we'll put it up and get the public involved and see all the local research that's going on in the area so that's what we've been doing and our artists have been working really hard yes. and I hope that it can be shown around and people can see the work they put in. Okay well we're going to speak to one of the artists in a little bit but um, when you're putting this together is it easy to find scientists who want to work with artists and the other way around? Um, yeah, we were surprised by the response, actually. Uh, people were really eager to get involved and they thought it was a great project 
to become part of. And we just did a call out to Facebook groups and just local art centers. And we just had a, a whole load of artists interested. And um, the same, we did a call out at UWE University for researchers and Bristol University, and we got a lot of responses. So we were very happy. Awesome. And <laughs> yeah. as I look around, there's all different types of art forms here. I assume there's all different types of science as well. Yeah. Uh, well, we've mainly had a lot of responses from like the epi- uh, epidemiology department at Bristol, but we try to. We have some engineers, and we have some chemists, and we have. Uh, lots of scientists that wanted to get on board and we tried to vary the medium in which uh, the artists used as well so we sort of tried to cut it down a little bit and choose artists with a bit of a variation in what medium they wanted to use. Okay, do you have a favourite piece? Um, Yeah, this is actually my favourite piece. It's called Fragments and I love it. It's on the embryology of zebrafish. So as you can see, like uh, the artist is happy for people to just come along and touch it and have a look at um, all the pieces. And there's like a researcher's notebook and just little bits of test tube. And I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so it's all, all bits and pieces uh, forming form the artwork in a chest of drawers that you can have a look through the specimens. And it's a bit like one of those cabinets of curiosity from back in the day. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. And just all the strange things that you can have a little look at. And there's so much work and it's very detailed. So I was just blown away by the work that was done. Yeah, and uh, I can see another sculpture in front of us here, which is called the Nutritional Pavilion. Um, it looks to me like a, a marble boat, but what, what is it we're actually <laughs> um, Yeah, this is done by one of our uh, artists, Mike, and um, he just was influenced by a lot of things and talked to Dr. Laura Johnson, and um, it's on like public health and nutrition, that's her research. So I'm not quite sure how he like interpreted it, but it was his interpretation, and it's amazing. And, Oh yeah, no, it's awesome, isn't it? I mean, I, the, the, science is uh, more my background, and uh, although I do love a bit of art as well, but I, I think one of the things that I find fascinating about the science and art crossover is that science is very much kind of this is the thing, this is the thing we're looking for, and this is it. We found it or we haven't. Yeah. Whereas art is 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 much more interpretation. So to see that crossover is fascinating. Yeah, definitely, and um, just to see. Uh, science in a different angle is really what we wanted to get across to the public and try and get the public involved in seeing not just like results of uh, scientists but just maybe have another angle on their research that they're doing. And how long is this exhibition on for? Um, it's going on until next Tuesday so it started on the 11th and it's running until the 22nd and um, yeah we're open all day and we're open weekends as well so we'll be doing workshops uh, on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday Uh, there's a robotics workshop on Saturday and a badge making class on Sunday so we'd love people to come along and just have a look at all the artwork and get involved make a badge talk to some robotics uh, researchers yeah and what's your background? I'm an MSc student at UWE and I'm doing science communication okay and have you put this whole thing together uh, along with my team of organizers yeah, yeah. and yeah. we've been working very hard i hope it can come across awesome. so uh, very last thing how uh, how will people find it if they want to come and have a look um it's at hamilton house um which is at stokes craft so please come along um we're in opposite the canteen and uh, feel free to just have a look and stay as long as you want and there might be an artist or a scientist around have a talk to about their work and there's blurbs under all the artwork so you can have a read and see what's inspired them. Now, 
Back at Hamilton House, I met up with Mary Ransfield, one of the artists involved in the wonderful exhibition taking place there this week, Creative Reactions. Um, I'm one of the artists involved in the project. My name's Mary Ransfield, and um, I work with different kinds of media, as you can see here. I was introduced to a scientist who's interested in parasites. Oh, right. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And I got so carried away that I've actually made two pieces of work. So um, I made a book, first of all, about the kind of parasites that she studies that um, are passed on by tetsy-tetsy flies and... uh, I sort of made my taxi fly into a bit of a pirate who bites people and gives them these nasty parasites. And uh, then people and animals die because the parasites take over their body. Yeah. Have you ever done anything that's been based on science before, is it? Um, not really. Uh, no, it was really interesting to do this. And um, then I kind of got more into my imagination, I think, and um, sort of thinking about how parasites take over people or animals. And I was thinking about things that get inside your head, you know. Mm. So I've got, there are nasty parasites that sort of lay their eggs inside people's heads and little worms sort of stuff living in there. But... um, I also thought about all the sort of technology that's being developed at the moment and we can find ourselves with little computers and yeah. all sorts of things inside us, yeah. which rather worries me, actually. Oh, does it? Yeah, is, yeah, is that, it does that something that concerns you? Well, yeah, because somebody might tell me to do something via one of these okay. little computers or yeah. receptors or something. And yeah, I always find myself in that sort of... Any technology, people can use it for bad or good. Yeah. I always get really excited about the technology. Yeah. I'm one of those people who's just well, going, oh, good. I love yeah. it, I love it. And yeah. then I never think, yeah. that, oh, maybe something no, could do Maybe this. I'm being um, a bit uh, too worried. Yeah. But, do you watch uh, a lot of science fiction? Is that what uh, you mean? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I've really enjoyed being part of the project because I've met lots of other people who... Um, been involved with it, scientists, artists, and they've all been working on different things mm. and producing some amazing work. When I've come and seen the final exhibition put up, mm. it's really been fascinating. Mm. Yeah, um, really so I think it's about breaking down barriers so that people don't feel that science is uh, something that they don't understand and they don't know about and they don't need to think about it would be good if if they did Mm. and um we're sort of struggling i think to get young people to um take up science and engineering it's all really uh important for us for our society isn't it well i I think i I mean i look around this exhibition and i think there'll be some people coming the other way as well scientists who come along here who don't know much about art and Ah, find an accessible way of looking at art as well yeah yeah. so that kind of two-way communication and breaking down a few um, barriers and preconceived ideas perhaps yeah Yeah. absolutely now the two pieces of work you've got here you've got uh they get inside your head which is uh 
but it's a face. And from a distance, I thought it was someone with funny hair. But I see when I get closer to it, then it is parasites uh, coming out of the, uh, of the head. And then there's a book. Yeah. Is that how your art would work generally? You would take a subject and then work out how you're going to produce? Uh, yes, I, I try um, to use different media sometimes. So uh, fabric and three-dimensional objects and perhaps make it into something different that it started with and um, an interesting process I don't always know what I'm going to make at the beginning I might have a vague idea and then kind of takes on a life of itself and um, you know once I got started making these little worms and uh, sort of making them so they would wiggle about uh, I I thought yes I really think this will work But um, I hoard all sorts of weird stuff at home. Yeah, so I've used a stand here that's um, had a mirror on it originally, and then I've used a mask and some fabric and um, all sorts of bits and pieces. It definitely has a big impact. Is there anything else around that's struck you in particular by the other artists? Um, There's so much, and actually it's quite hard to pick out things but the stained glass piece that's hanging on the window sort of looks at um, the kind of processes and ways of thinking for the scientists I think uh, I thought it was really yeah quite interesting yeah, that one you can actually see that one from the street as well as you've gone past Hamilton House ah. as you walk past Hamilton House if you see, see the that. artwork in the window come in and see the rest of the exhibition it really yeah, is really wonderful. be good and thank yeah. you so much for talking to me oh. Thank you. I was Mary Roundsfield at the Creative Reactions exhibition all this week at Hamilton House. Now, you may have heard recently when um, my daughter Lyra put a question to Professor Ethan Siegel asking if the universe started with a Big Bang and that Big Bang created space, what did the Big Bang happen in? You can go back and listen to the answer to that on by going to bcfm.com going to the schedule, finding love and science and scrolling back through the shows and you'll find it there along with all the other shows we've done and all the other shows here on BCFM. But my daughter Lyra recently asked me a question which I didn't know the answer to and the question was how do we grow? So I put that to Professor Alice Roberts. Um, I'm driving along uh, with my daughter in the seat next to me and she's, she's five and she's called Lyra and she said, um, she said, Daddy, what I really want to know is how do we grow? I've got some answers for her, I think. But that's an incredibly, as often happens from five-year-olds and, and older children as well, um, you get some incredible questions that make you think really hard. And this is why I'm always encouraging academics to go out and do talks in schools as well as talking to adult audiences because it tests your own ability to uh, articulate and even con- to conceptualise your own subject, actually. So, so let's think about this. How do we grow? What does she mean by that? Does she mean what makes us grow? what drives us to grow if she means that then uh, there are answers there in terms of there's a program of development there are hormones that kick in particularly steroid hormones that kick in at various times during your development that spur you on and that um, increase the proliferation of tissues Um, so that's one answer to that 
Another answer might be to look at it at a tissue level. This might be quite tricky for her. If she knows what a cell is, if she's got some kind of concept that bodies of animals and plants are built of cells, then another, another answer to how those bodies grow is quite simple, actually, uh, is by adding more cells. But there are other ways that you can get something to grow bigger and that's by cells are, uh, are quite often surrounded by a matrix of, uh, of something which is not cellular so some kind of goo or something fibrous um, so you could add more to that as well so you can add more to the extracellular matrix um, or actually rather than increasing the number of cells you could increase the size of the cells and that would mean that the tissue or the, um, the, the organ as a whole would, would grow a bit bigger so those are kinds of really um I suppose process-driven answers. I suspect at the root of her question is something actually a lot deeper and a lot more philosophical. And it's about how you take something and make it bigger uh, whilst ensuring that it's the same object. You know, how does her body, how does she get bigger so that, um, you know, in a month's time when she's, when she's probably grown a few millimetres taller and bigger all over, it's still her. And that is utterly fascinating because we are, it's, it's this whole, it goes back to that Herodotus quote, doesn't it, about never being able to step in the same river twice. We are constantly remaking ourselves, literally remaking ourselves. You know, you, the atoms in your body now are not the atoms that were in your body 20, 30 years ago. They have been turned over. Even things which we think of as being relatively static in our bodies, like bone, for instance, are actually really dynamic. Even the most compact bits of bone get turned over every seven years or so. Um, so there are some tissues which are turning over all the time. Um, like uh, things, that, things which do that really quickly are the, are the obvious things like hair. You know that does because it's growing. Nails. Skin is constantly growing and sloughing off of the surface. Your gut lining is constantly growing and sloughing off of the surface but even tissues like bone are changing over time there are cells that eat them away and there are cells that make more of them uh, and that is the process which is which is continually happening I, I, you, you blow my mind so I don't know what you can do to that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's loads of different it's such a good question isn't it because yeah, yeah. actually it, enc- it encompasses so many different avenues of yeah, thought yeah. I could develop a whole lecture out of your daughter's single question and it would be a very entertaining thing to do I think I'd enjoy it anyway um, so if we look at for instance how bones grow that's fascinating so her bones at the age of five will the ends of the bone will be separate from the shaft of the bone there'll be a wadge of cartilage in between and the cartilage is where most of the growth goes on because cartilage is really good at growing quickly and bone is not so good at growing quite so quickly and when she's fully grown that cartilage will disappear and that plate of cartilage at the ends of her bones will close down so that's how the skeleton grows so there are so many different answers yeah. to this question yeah amazing do the lecture come on i'll bring it <gasps> science festival next year let's do it <laughs> love and science